This episode is brought to you by Redeemer University. Your university years are some of the most important in your life, and where you choose to study matters. Redeemer University, located just outside of Hamilton, Ontario, offers 40 different degree programs, all taught from a Christian perspective. A one-of-a-kind experience that weaves faith and education together, Redeemer prepares you for your future career and helps deepen your faith, all while building Christian friendships that last a lifetime. Learn more and apply when you visit Redeemer.ca. Hey everybody, welcome back to another uh, Real Talk Roundup. We are back today, uh, and if you caught the last episode with a familiar face, uh, joining us today is Alexandra Ellison, um, RP's uh, newest journalist, and uh, you can check out all of her uh, her story and what she's going to be doing for RP in the last episode, and we'll cover that a little bit later in this in this roundup, but thanks for jumping on with us, Alexandra, appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to do a classic roundup. We're going to roll through the latest three episodes plus the bonus episode and uh, share our thoughts and opinions on some of that. And then um, in honor of John Dykstra being away on holidays, he usually has an extra little segment. So we thought we'd touch on some recent uh, movies and, and pop culture and give our uh, analysis the latest developments in, in cinema and film. So stay tuned for that uh, later on in the episode. So going in order, uh, first up, we have uh, the episode that Ty did with the, the guys over at Fate to Film. Faith Inc., um, Christian Content in a Hostile World, episode 85. Um, I really enjoyed listening to this one, but I think maybe I'll throw it over to, uh, to you, Alexander, for, for some of your thoughts and, and takeaway from, uh, from this episode. Yeah, I, I really enjoy listening to this one, especially because um, I've been able to work with David and Kyle with um, doing some of the RPTV videos. So they have uh, done a really great job at editing and creating the graphics. And I really enjoy being able to, you know, film everything, have the script laid out and then throw it off to them. And they they do a really good job at, you know, just doing doing the things while the videography, the editing, the graphics. And um, one thing that really stood out to me was you see um, a lot of Christians working working in media and you know, they always have like a good message. The gospel message is there, but sometimes that that kind of background, that you know, good creative skills are not all good website. They don't have good editing. They don't have you know good filming, but the message is there. And I think it's really great to see you know Christians like David and Kyle heading into a vocation, um, you know, with the God given skills that they have. Because um, you know, as Christians, we want we want to be able to do you know do good. And, you know, the fact that they, you know, have these great skills and they are, you know, producing Christian content for churches, um, you know, for different organizations like ARPA um, is really exciting to see. And I think, you know, we were just talking about something like The Sound of Freedom and it's a it's a movie um, and it's a really it has a great message to it produced by lots of Christians. Um, and, you know, you can really see the cinematography in, in it, unlike sometimes, you know, a pastor will just make a movie and the message is there, but the filming is kind of off or, you know, they don't have the, the you know, the skills to necessarily make that. So um, I think that was one thing that really just stood out to me in that episode is just, you know, seeing their God-given skills and, you know, being able to do that in their vocation. Totally. Yeah, that jumped out to, that jumped out to me as well. You could tell they were professionals first, right? And then they, they thought, oh, okay, let's go apply our skills uh, to create content for for christians for reform christians so yeah that's that's really neat i thought it was wise that they uh they also set up 
after like some some you know figuring out some trial and error, doing a few different projects, they set up this nonprofit uh, structure and they got a board in place and that gives them some uh, some accountability. Like that's uh, that was kind of the road. I mean, we did it through RP, but that Ty and I went down when we started a podcast originally. We got some good advice from some other people and they said, hey, if you're going to do this, you should probably have some people keeping you accountable. And um, and that was uh, that's proven to be very, very helpful for us for keeping us on track and, and make sure we're doing a good job. So I think uh, those were probably two of the two takeaways I had from that episode. But Ty, you went and, and actually experienced this and, and ran the episode. Um, what did you make of their uh, process when they were filming it and uh, and doing the editing and whatnot? Oh, I was, yeah, it was cool to, to go there. <laughs> so I went to, this is, uh, David's dad actually owns that studio. So it was, uh, when I, like when I arrived, it was like, um, they were all set up already. They had a whole black of cameras going, um, really like you could tell they're really professional. They've not, this isn't the first time they're doing it. Um, I think every time I set up for this podcast, it looks like the first time I've ever done it. So, uh, <laughs> it was kind of refreshing to, uh, to walk in somewhere where they were like, no, 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 this is how it's going to go. Here's a background that this guy's going to sit against. And it was, yeah, it was really neat. It was, um, it's cool to talk to them too. Um, a little bit different for me because I'm used to the long form, you know, everything you say is going to be recorded and just stuck out there. Um, mostly, most of that came from our, uh, lack of expertise on the editing side. Originally, when we started, when we started editing it ourselves, we were like, well, if we just put everything out there, we don't have to do any editing. And that was easier. So we did that. Um, so yeah, being able to like, we would stop in the middle of the recording, which was, which was interesting for a podcast. It was like, all right, so now let's, uh, let's switch this or your audio is not quite a hundred percent. Let's fix that. And, uh, you could just, the professionalism really comes through. So it was really, it was really neat. Um, yeah. What struck me from, from the episode or from these guys, um, just talking to them and experiencing that was, um, I love, I like how they've separated their professional um, I guess they, they've separated the, the faith to film side from the faith ink side. I think that's quite a clever idea. I don't know that everyone would go there. Um, when doing that, they, they basically said like, well, we want to create Christian content. That's just content for the Christian world, but then also they have to find a way to make money and work for some of these organizations who need this content and it's, it's very much just like a contract basis like what they're doing with rptv it's um it's like well here's here's the idea rp has had and now take it and run with it um but then the faith the film side they're doing a lot more um a lot more like just creating reform content talking to ministers and and going and doing kind of their own thing with the, with the board uh, that they have i think separating the two is really wise like they just they can develop their skills while, you know, working under contract. And then they also just, um, they have a, an outlet to like put out like faith-based content, which I think the world needs. So it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of neat. It's a good setup. And I think those guys are, you know, they're going to do well and they obviously are doing well. They're apparently very busy. So <laughs> it's, uh, encourage anyone who's in that world to, you know, reach out to them or, uh, if they, um, you know, if there's people I'll like them, you know, they're probably a good resource to reach out to, to, to see how to do it. Mm -hmm, for sure. I'm, uh, I'm excited for what they're going to produce with this whole reformed confessions uh, project. This is, mm -hmm. which could take literally decades, but uh, working their way through the catechism and, and 
going forward from there. That's uh, I think that'll be a helpful like video resource for for many people across the world. Um, okay, sweet. Moving on to a quick little bonus episode we dropped. So this was when I was uh, out out west for some of our meetings for Reform Perspective. Uh, we do get together once a year annually and chat about all things RP. And so at the end of that, I uh, did a quick little roundtable podcast with Mark Penninga, um, obviously our executive director. Uh, John Dykstra sat down as well, our editor, and then Marty Vendrill, who also sits on the board and, and, and contributes uh, his writing and, and editing to, to RP. So with those three guys, we kind of did a quick little recap on what had happened over the last uh, day and a half meetings and kind of the year that was and, and the year to come. So um, it was about it was pretty brief, probably about 20 minutes, but uh, maybe I'll go to you, Ty, and then Alexander, you can weigh in as well. Uh, just you have any quick little feedback or thoughts or anything you found interesting in that in that episode? Yeah, it was, it's always cool to see behind the scenes of, of these organizations. So, I mean, um, we're all pretty involved with RP. You're much more involved with RP. So it's cool to uh, to see what kind of discussions are going on um, in terms of like visioning for the organization. And yeah, it's it's, it's cool to think about, um, yeah, how, how do these Christian organizations, RP, and I mean, there's a lot of other ones. How do they picture themselves and where do they they see themselves placing themselves in the world. Basically a um, couple things that stuck out to me was um, the conversation that you mentioned about social media um, approaching social media a bit different. And I hadn't thought too much about it, but the print magazine being um, a way to get around censorship um, quite a Yeah. Quite an interesting idea. I, I think it's probably, there's probably something to it. And I think uh, the direction that, that Mark and John and you guys at the board are, are taking it is yeah it's wise like being able to mail something it's pretty hard for someone to comb through it and take stuff out so it's uh it's a way to get good content into people's houses so um yeah and the other thing was i mean obviously rp has been if you if you get the magazine and you should um the magazine's gotten more it looks like a book now it's uh it's very uh it's substantial and it's um yeah, it's, it's good quality. So it's like something you could put on your shelf. And um, I think Marty mentioned that um, we're looking to make more like timeless content, um, something that you can put on your shelf. And it kind of got me thinking, and I'm kind of curious what you guys think um, about the difference between, we probably get into this with Alexandra about uh, journalism and stuff too, but the timelessness of content, um, something that you can always look back to in terms of like articles that you can say, oh yeah, like, it's not just uh, what was life like back then, but like how do we how do we approach these issues? Um, having articles like that, I think there's a there's a different value than than you know even some of the podcasts we do or or the RPTV things where you're like touching on a cultural moment, and you know you might go back to look at it out of interest, but it doesn't necessarily speak to the world in in the way that some of this timeless content could. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about it more in the journalism side of things, but that that kind of struck me about that little bonus episode that it's just like there is a bit of a disparity there. And I like the way RP's like focusing on this timeless Christian content. That's uh, something that you can put on your shelf and then flip back to 10 years from now. It's kind of neat. Yeah. What do, you, what do you make of that point, Alexandra, like in terms of kind of balancing, covering the news of the day, doing some investigative work, but then also contributing to the magazine, which is, yeah, trying to to make some more evergreen content stuff that we can come back to in, in five years, 10 years and, and kind of get a handle on how we were 
thinking about the problems of the day. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's really important. I think, you know, when I was going to journalism school, a lot of the time they're saying, you know, digital is the way to go, you know, online, online news, everything is, you know, print is dead. Um, yet, I think, especially, you know, talking to Mark and, you know, listening to this episode and hearing, you know, that there is kind of this want and need for people to have something that they can hold in their hands, something like, you know, history, you know, back in the day, we would all we just had books, right? We didn't we didn't have online. And I think it can be very easy to, you know, just go online, read articles, read, you know, whatever's happening on social media. Um, but something like a book, it, you know, the content in it cannot be changed. Um, and I think that that can be that that's something exciting and something good is that, you know, you can go back, you could go back to an RP, you know, magazine from 10 years ago. Um, and with its, you know, intent and its Christian perspective, you can go back and it can help you, you know, how, how, and how to reflect on an issue that's happening today. So, you know, I really enjoy that aspect of it. And yeah, I'm excited to kind of be, be working in this new space because it's like, it's, it's old because it's something like print in a magazine, but then it's also kind of reintroducing it to a younger generation that has been so, you know, common to, you know, open up their phones on social media and just be scrolling instead of really sitting down and, you know, taking time to reflect on on writing, which is, you know, something that is is very important and much needed in today's culture. For sure, for sure. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a blending of the old school, new school sort of thing. Like there's we don't have to go away from digital, but there is a real value in the print and yeah, I love the point about you can't edit it once it's out. Like it's it's just finalized. Nobody can go back and, and re-censor it or anything. So I think that's pretty cool. Ty, did you do you want to jump in there or do you want to move to the next episode? Yeah, well, I I think that 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 point's really good that you can't change it. I mean, it's not something that we think about now, but I've been seeing some things where people have been well. I mean, who knows how conspiracy theory it is, but that's pretty much what our entire world we live in now is, and. People seem to be able to easily edit um, things that used to exist, especially online. It's very easy um, to get rid of things or to just like tweak the way someone worded something. Um, you know, holding something in your hand is is just different. It's just uh, it seems safer for some reason. So uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to to CRP going that way. Right on. Okay, cool. Well, how about we jump to the next episode? And these these do all kind of tie together in a certain way. Um, so episode 86 was uh, I interviewed uh, Levi Minerhout and John Sekema uh, from uh, ARPA, ARPA Canada. And we were talking all about their fall tour. So this one kind of came out right after their fall tour. So for anybody who wasn't able to see them when they came across Canada, they could check out this podcast and, and get the message in a bit of a longer form, a bit of a conversational style. So Alexandra, obviously you, you've, uh, you're still in the midst of uh, that, that internship with with ARPA. Um, what did you uh, What did you make of this episode? Did Did it? I guess you'd be fairly familiar with some of this content, and I know you've interviewed John before for sure. Uh, but what were some of your key takeaways from from this episode, from what Levi and John were discussing with transgender and whatnot? Yeah, so I I found you know the episode very interesting. Um, I mean, transgenderism is a you know huge topic. I think that we've seen across across Canada, across you know North America, and um, it's very saddening to hear kind of you know some of the statistics that uh, John and Levi were were talking about. And I I think it's so important that you know this past year that ARPA has really been you know putting this focus on you know kids 
you know, kids, let kids be kids and um, just really, you know, putting forth, you know, that we are, you know, children are made in the image of God, male and female. Um, I, I think the point that stood out to me in the podcast was um, when John was, you know, talking about, yeah, I think you had mentioned something about one of the statistics. Sometimes they say that we are, you know, mutilating gay people that are going to become, you know, gay children rather than, um, it, it, it's kind of hard to describe, but I think that, you know, a lot people will be, you know, trans identify as transgender and then slowly later um, identify as, you know, gay or, you know, bisexual. Um, but it's, it's important for us as Christians to not maybe play into those statistics and to tie the tie people's, you know, sexuality, although that is, you know, a real thing and something that, you know, people do feel, it's important for us to maybe, you know, always have a Christian worldview um, and and not, you know, tie their sexuality to who they are. So I really like that point that um, John had made in the episode. Yep, that's that's fair. That's a stat that gets quoted, I think, a lot by uh, people who, who might be like, uh, yeah, or conservative or right-wing but not necessarily Christian. And I think, uh, yeah, it's, I probably cited it without thinking about that, the lens that is inherent in that stat. So that's, uh, that's a good point. Uh, Ty, your thoughts on, on this episode. Yeah. Well, yeah. One quick thing was that I didn't realize how much of a provincial issue it was. Cause it does land this whole transgender thing in the, the, you know, quote unquote, gender affirming care and all the stuff actually like, you hear the federal government talk about it a lot. Um, I mean, I guess that's because it, like, ideologically, it lands where they do. Um, but the actual care of it lands with the province because it's a healthcare matter. Um, and I hadn't really thought about that. I thought about fighting this as a cultural battle in our country, but but really, like, um, which is probably why it's less prevalent to maybe in Alberta than it might be in downtown Toronto. But it's um, it yeah that the, the the actual policy and uh, the implication on the ground, I guess, kind of lands at the province level, which is kind of interesting. So, yeah, it's uh, encouraging people to get reach out to their provincial legislatures um, is probably more effective on this issue than trying to fight Trudeau on it, which is kind of interesting. Not what you usually hear in the media. So, um, yeah. And the, the other thing, the other thing that kind of hit me was... Um, yeah, the acknowledgement, like, so you guys walk through the whole transgender thing, and and it, it's good to understand, especially for people who don't think about this too much, um, being in the culture, it's, yeah, trying to do a podcast and stuff, you probably think about it more than you need to. Um, but acknowledging that, um, I think it was Levi, maybe, who who acknowledged it, like, a sin, a sin is sin, and it's, and this, you know, transgenderism, it, like, while it's like a gross sin that or like uh like a, a very public sin in that sense that's like um it's it's not necessarily any worse than what you know we're doing every day and so um the acknowledgement the acknowledgement of that while also recognizing that our culture is not just like accepting this or turning uh turning away when this happens similar to like like promiscuity maybe in the past this is like something that's being celebrated and pushed so it's not it kind of struck me that it's not so much that we are combating the sin of it as so much as the celebration of it in our culture which is kind of interesting i mean obviously we all we all want 
you know, this to go away and like no one to think they're transgender and no one to deal with this as a mental health thing or um, we don't really want to have this in our culture, in, our, in anyone's life, really, as Christians. Um, but where we're at now is more like having to combat people, especially in politics, who are celebrating this and, and trying to push this on parents to and and like this whole culture um, that you see in especially young women. But um, yeah, it kind of it kind of it kind of made two sides of it to me. Like you have the sin, but you also have like the whole cultural celebration part of it, which is, you know, possibly a bigger issue. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the sin was ultimately the bigger issue, right? But I actually just read a, a good book on this. Oh, on, oh, go ahead. on the personal side, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, on the cultural fight side, it's very hard to, um, you can speak to it, right? Like you can, like we can speak to abortion, but the, the policy and the, and the, the conversation that the culture is having around it is very much uh yeah it's it's very different than engaging on the actual personal sin side of things yeah they're yeah the culture's celebrating it because they say there's you know it's it's only good there's nothing to see here there's there's no wrong but in reality it's it is wrong and it is abusive to children to do it at that age and it's it's going against what god has designed for your body so it's it's never going to end well and I think I just read a good book on this. The, the titles escape me right now, but essentially covering this this the rise of um, the the extreme rise of of the amount of children children who are becoming transgender and going through hormone treatment and puberty blockers and surgeries and whatnot and whatnot. And the reality that we are beginning to face already now and will continue to face as a church in the coming years, which is that there's going to be a lot of kids probably now like in their 20s even 30s whatever who detransition and um, go go back against their original uh, decision but are still left facing the consequences and are looking around for answers and a lot of these people hopefully by the grace of god will turn for these answers to uh to the bible to, to church to christ and they'll be they'll be coming to our churches and we're gonna have to know yeah how to deal how to deal with that because that's like a, in some ways a bit of a unique challenge Although in this again in this book he makes a case that this isn't anything new like we have seen this throughout history before just had different forms and different names but there are there are gods and, and times throughout history where uh, the nations would yeah you know gender gender bend for another for lack of a better term and and try to uh, we see this in like the decline of society and I think the Roman Romans were uh, were guilty of this too where uh, the the distinctions and differences between men and women or blurred so that there was there was confusion and, and yeah it's uh, it did not end well for sure but anyways the long long story short i think we're going to deal with this in our churches and uh, it's something for us to think about and it will likely be topic of of an upcoming uh, real talk episode so um just to whet your appetite a little bit for for what is a tough topic but i think one is uh that we have to tackle as christians and, and be prepared for how we can serve these people and uh show them the love of, of christ and, and his church um Anyways, that was a lot to occupy me. Um, I figured I'll let's move over to episode eighty-seven. Uh, this was the one when, uh, when Alexandra and I sat down to talk about her story, and she uh, she shared the the amazing fact that she was a YouTube star as a younger uh, younger person and uh, had all these cool uh, cool videos of American dolls and whatnot. So that, I thought that was a pretty cool story, and, uh, and yeah, that just shared your love for for making stories and sharing stories, but. I guess we'll go to you, Ty, since you're the only one on this uh, episode who didn't participate in that episode. Uh, for some of your <laughs> thoughts on on that. 
yeah, it, it was, I mean, whatever, Alexander, it was great to get to know you on there. Like, I mean, yeah, that story, uh, you basically like got into YouTube, which was pretty cool back in, you know, when YouTube was, was more <clears throat> useful, I guess. Um, that, that, that's a cool story. Like interesting content. I don't know if it, like how many people would be making stuff like that. Um, and then it's kind of a shame, but kind of, uh, I mean, providential that you're here and, um, that YouTube basically couldn't pay you to do it. Which is, <laughs> I didn't know you couldn't make money making uh, kids content like that. So that's, uh, that's kind of unfortunate, but um, yeah, it's, it's good to, it's good to hear about uh, your, your, uh, all the internships you've done. I've just, just been like a lot. <laughs> um, I'm curious about your time at the CBC though. It was, uh, you guys touched on it. Um, I was, I was going to ask you like, what it was like there like what um i mean that's kind of like a snake pit in my mind that's like uh it's pretty hard to i mean i guess you you said you were on like more of a news cycle so maybe it's a little easier to uh you know dodge some of the real issues but um what was that like like was that um like who are you who were you working for working with and like what what were you doing yeah, so it was a so yeah, it was a a breaking news show. It's it's called World Report. So it's like a ten minute news show that goes on the hour, starting from I think it's five five a.m. to eleven a.m. So I was up at like two thirty, going there, getting to work at three a.m. Every so the the breaking news kind of aspect of it, you know, getting into the office and really you know, getting to find out what's happening to the day, like that was, you know, the most exciting part, kind of the the main reason why I wanted to do it to gain all these valuable skills that, you know, having to write copy, you know, just that quickly, like it was, it it, it is a bit of a, like a stressful environment in that sense. Um, but because, because the stories are, you know, so short, it's like you're writing two lines for the anchor to read. Um, you really don't get that um, kind of editorial um, kind of nature that you would get in maybe their longer form podcast or their longer form um, articles that they do. So it, it was, it was nonpartisan to, you know, an extent, of course, you know, there would be some situations um, like I would even, sometimes I would notice we had something called um, like the Reuters newswire. So just all the news of the day would just pop up and we kind of get it before anyone else could see it like you wouldn't see that on your you know personal cbc news app you would just you know find this on the on our own like personal softwares um and sometimes you know different topics of like you know something about abortion legislation in the u.s and this is a world international show so we would you know we would cover pretty much everything but sometimes they would just you know or even issues of uh, transgenderism they would kind of just skip over those issues and not not even you know report on it if it if it had the best um, narrative. So I find you know when you are I would work with you know like three producers and there'd be one kind of executive uh, producer that would make all the decisions. Um, so that was that was kind of a challenge, right? I would speak to them and ask like you know how do you make those decisions? And of course sometimes it has to be like a timely thing. It's like you don't have enough time to be able to cover, you know, you can only cover, I don't know, six stories in one 10 minute news show. Um, but it does, you know, come to that, you know, at the end of the day, they are coming from a secular 
worldview. So they're not necessarily going to choose stories that, you know, would interest Christians or that would interest, you know, people from different worldviews. And especially when it's, it's very much like a niche echo chamber, people that are all thinking in the same way. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah. And like, which, yeah. You're feeding to your listenership, which is like more on the liberal side too. Yes, definitely. Yeah. He's <laughs> up at five in the morning listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I guess that's why CBC needs to be funded. That's yeah. Why. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't, I think it was like this year, they they said because of lack of funding, they couldn't do the New Year's Eve special, which I saw didn't that. really make sense to me. Oh, really? Well, they, yeah. did, they did pull funding. Didn't the government pull funding? From- they did. And like, yeah, I think a few hundred jobs were, yeah, some people were gone. That's amazing. Yeah. So they, have, they had interns doing that work, eh? Like, yes. Writing up. That's interesting. Yeah, so each, I think, each kind of semester, so they do like a summer semester, fall semester, spring semester, and they bring on, at least I was in the Toronto offices, there's about 15 people, and they spread them across all the different news sectors. So, I mean, I you could kind of choose what you wanted to do. So I specifically wanted to do like the breaking news kind of platforms, but then I spoke to other interns who did the, um, you know, different, maybe more editorial. There's a CBC Kids show, which is... Like really, they brought on a drag queen and they asked, yeah, they asked, uh, you know, kids ask questions to a drag queen. So I was grateful for the opportunity to work for a, you know, more normal show. Yeah, no kidding. Well, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, you might get canceled one day for working C- for CBC. Yeah. We'll <laughs> Possibly, I'll have to like put a disclaimer on every resume that I. I'll link the, the RP magazine um, uh, article I wrote <laughs> to yeah, it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yes. That was a good this, article, too. People should go check that out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is the context. Cool. All right. Well, that kind of wraps up our, our coverage of the last uh, four episodes, I guess, including the bonus. Um, you guys wanted to discuss some, some movies. Uh, Alexandra, you loved Barbie. This is what I heard before on the show. <laughs> you love Barbie. Fantastic. Oh, yes. Definitely. What was it like? Um, yeah, so I I mean, the Barbie movie was like the biggest grossing movie in 2023. Um, and I, it came out in the summer, but I didn't, you know, have, yeah, I was working at the CBC. So, you know, I had no time to, to watch that. Um, but I watched it this past week um, with my family. Um, just, you know, what, I knew that it wasn't going to be good, but I wanted to watch it just because, you know, I had lots of friends or, you know, lots of people I went to university with just really resonating with with the story and my young my younger sister and older sister both watched um the movie in theaters and they had told me that there were young girls that were crying in the theater um when when they saw it um but i watched it and it was a very you know very like feminist kind of oriented film um the the way that it works is that the barbies kind of you know woman run the barbie land and then Ken is just put off to the side. Um, but I think the one thing that that stood out to me the most um, was that Barbie kind of, Barbie ends up meeting her creator. Um, and she meets her creator, but then she, there's no sense of hope. It's not like, you know, they they could have maybe given a, a gospel message where you, you can meet your creator and you can find your purpose. Um, yet the narrative kind of switched to, you know, you meet your creative um, you meet your creator and then, you know, she gave this speech to Ken about how, you know, you are not confined to, you know, your objective reality, to your body. Like you create 
your own reality. Um, and that was, you know, just really sad to kind of hear. There's a song that it plays in the film. It's called like, what was I made for? Um, and it's like, well, you were, I know exactly you know, what you were made for. Um, yet they don't, they don't allude to that. Um, which is, which is really sad, especially because it was just so, so big within, within our culture. And I'm not sure if you guys were able to watch it at all or, you know, hear anything about the film, but. Do you think it resonated with, with people, especially like younger women, um, because it was at least addressing uh, a need or a problem that they identify or, or a need that they feel, even if it didn't provide like a solution, people were just happy. It was like, it, it kind of touched on an existential crisis in a way. Like, what am I doing here? Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that is, that is good to point out that, yeah, you know, people were, people can relate to it because they, you know, they don't have, they don't have that hope and they, they want to kind of cling on to some, some sort of identity. So, you know, whether that is, you know, but going to social media or um, this, this past week, I, with that, if you're going to watch the Barbie movie, I'd actually, I read this book and it's called um, You're Not Enough and That's Okay um, by Ali Beth Stuckey. Um, and it's, you know, kind of her Christian testimony. Um, and it's all about, you know, escaping this toxic culture of self-love. Um, so she kind of speaks about the, you know, women are kind of influenced with these different messages about, you know, you just have to love yourself. You can find yourself within, you know, within yourself. And she talks about these kind of lies about how you're perfect the way you are. Um, and then that, you know, was a message that, you know, we clearly saw in in the Barbie movie. Um, but I think, you know, just being able to read this book and seeing that, no, you can, you really can be content. You really can find your identity in Christ. Um, so if you're going to watch the Barbie movie, read this, read that book with it as well, because I, I think that it's um, really important. That was a good book. I did read it a few years ago, even though I'm not a young woman. I don't know why. I just followed out of the stucky and I thought, hey, I'll read this book. It looks good. And I gave it to my <laughs> wife eventually. She read it. She liked it too. So I would highly recommend it. It's, uh, you gave a great summary. I don't need to say yeah. anything. Um, Ty, I'm guessing you didn't see Barbie, but I think you said you saw, uh, what, you saw Top Gun the other day? You were, you were talking about that? Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, I know I, never, I didn't get to watch Barbie. Well, I'm not, I am uh, probably would never do it, but... Uh... <laughs> I don't watch a lot of movies, um, but I did. I saw some of the like Daily Wire's coverage of it, and like that whole weekend, I guess was I think it was Oppenheimer or something came out that weekend. It was a big movie weekend or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah, similar to what Alexander was saying, like just not not a lot of hope in there. But yeah, the one that the things that I so I actually got a chance to uh, to watch um, uh, Sound of Freedom, and that was uh, yeah. I mean, we touched on that in a previous roundup with John, and that was. Uh, yeah, it's quite an eye-opening movie. Um, it's something that, like, I think it's it's good. To, it's a good movie to watch, uh, just to keep yourself informed on how crazy uh, sinful the world can be. Um, not a lot of not a lot of action that you know can be taken out of that movie. Like, it's something that like is uh, you hope that other people fix because it's hard to get yourself you know into a I'm going to fight child trafficking mindset um it's uh but yeah it definitely leaves you in you know a bit of despair uh, so that was a good new year's eve movie for my wife and i um uh, <laughs> ringing in the new year um but yeah i got a chance to watch top gun and uh i think that's on netflix now and um that one struck me actually because it's 
uh, I think this came out like a long time ago. I'm way behind on movies, but um, the movie did really, really well too. But I found that it was very much like an old school movie that was like not a lot of this woke culture in it. Um, it was almost wasn't a remake of the first, like the original Top Gun, but it was it was close. Like, um, and not they didn't seem to insert a lot of stuff. And I wonder what you guys make of that. Is is that a reason why a movie does well these days? I mean, it didn't have the existential crisis in it, but it's still like the, uh, it's just the, yeah, the typical, you know, hero myth, right? And, um, like, that's what Disney used to be, and now it's not. <laughs> and I think Disney's, Disney's suffering, and rightfully so. Um, but, yeah, like, when you when you create a story that's just, like, got a narrative, like, you know, here's an issue, they're gonna, you know, we're fighting evil, basically, and and good wins. Like, uh, what do you guys make out of that? Yeah, I I had a chance to go see. It. I guess out last summer. I actually went to a drive-in movie theater and watched this movie. Which I hadn't gone to a drive-in forever. But oh. talk about talk about old school. It was fun. That's um, an old school movie in an old school setting. Yeah, it was it was cool. Just uh, yeah, watch it in the back of the pickup truck. So it was it was a good time. But. Um, it was a, I liked it a lot. It was just a, like you say, a straight down the line, like action movie. It was like, you know, main character, you know, had a glory, uh, you know, storied past. And it's kind of down on his luck and he gets a chance for redemption. And doesn't look like he's going to pull it off. And he pulls it off in the end. And, you know, not to spoil anything for people, but, uh, I don't think that's that pretty, spoils anything. That's pretty, pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty generic. Yeah. You know, Tom Cruise comes out already at the end. I'll say that. So, um, but it was a good movie. Like it's just, and I think I think it was probably always going to do well because of the uh, nostalgia factor. But I think what drives that nostalgia factor is probably, yeah, what the way you're touching on Ty, that there wasn't like to the same degree for sure the amount of politics that we see in movies nowadays. It was just, hey, we're going to entertain you with a good story and uh, you know somebody you can look up to as the main character. Or, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I, I I enjoyed it. It was just like good, simple, fun entertainment. Nice time, and uh, it's kind of what you're looking for from a movie, like a bit yeah, of. I wouldn't, a, I wouldn't I recommend know. looking up to him in real life, but I mean, like in a movie, it's like you know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take up Scientology anytime soon. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, know, that's, those are kind of my thoughts on the movies. Any any other closing thoughts on, on cinema film in the last year or so? I I think the point about um, people swaying away from like they don't want politics in films. I think it can be highlighted in something like I saw the new Willy Wonka movie like two weeks ago and it was just like a a family friendly movie you know good storyline about you know an orphan and it it was a good movie there's you know no crude humor at all no um no explicit content um and I think it did it did really well in the theater so I think that that just shows that you know it's the end of the year people are People are ready to kind of steer away from politics and, you know, just have a good, good story, storyline with family values. And I think we're seeing that as well with uh, the Daily Wire and some of their content that they're putting out that more family friendly, which is, you know, good storytelling, less politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that doesn't, I hope that doesn't uh, get left up to the right, the right wing. Like, I hope that doesn't like I hope Hollywood really. You know, I mean, I don't have a lot of hope, but I, you know, I hope, um, I don't think they're going to snap out of it, but I mean, I really hope that they, you know, realize that this is just like that whole woke thing. Like people just want a good, you know, 
we go you go to the movies to see you know some of those like jordan peterson would talk about that stuff right like just you're 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 going to see a hero myth or you're going to see a good like a story told that that resonates with your life or whatever right not you know not get all this stuff pushed down your throat so hopefully uh hopefully they snap out of it and you know realize that they can actually make more money if they just make normal movies Mm -hmm. so i just had a thought now this ties in with uh, the faith of film uh gentlemen but like like you said about the right wing tie like it has to be people who are actually good at making movies who start to make these movies again and there are people who are you know conservative right wing who make good movies but there's also a lot of people who are politically left wing who make great movies too and like i watched the uh actually i didn't finish it because it kind of sucked uh the lady ballers film from daily wire and i was like this is like i don't know (laughs) It's like a, a crappy Adam Sandler movie. And I like Adam Sandler movies. They're funny. There's just like stupid like 12-year-old humor and it's just good for a laugh. Um, but yeah, I thought the Lady Ballers was was kind of lacking on the professionalism and, and acting wow, you, side of things. You, but the thing is you watch that because it came from Daily Wire, right? Like that's the only... And that's why I think if you put that into a theater as if it came from Hollywood, it would fall flat so hard. Like it just doesn't... It's not a good movie. It's just it's just funny because it's like <laughs> Daily Wire, like, and like if you especially if you follow Daily Wire, because a lot of the references in there are like stuff that they harp on, like Dylan Mulvaney, and like they they literally have a character that is him. Like it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, this is why I think like it's it's really hard to create content that um, that resonates, but like apart from your politics or apart from like who you are as a right-wing media source, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, in terms of like Daily Wire putting out kids content and stuff, I I, I agree that with uh, Alexandra. It's like, that's that's going to be valuable for, for parents. My kids watch a lot of stuff that probably when I watched when I was a kid, it was old. So <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, yeah. The other thing that dawned on me actually with kids content is um, the, the, the speed at which stuff happens in kids shows nowadays, if you watch some modern kids shows, they're very like action packed. They literally get your kids like, like wired. Um, If you watch something like Paw Patrol, the way that the screen, like the graphics work and stuff is so fast paced. If you go back to something old, like Franklin, the turtle or something, the speed of that story is like so slow. Like it's terrible to watch. Like, Turtle slow. But yeah. your kids enjoy it. They they listen to it for the story, right? And they don't mind if the, the turtle sits and eats for 30 seconds. Like they're cool with that. It's interesting to watch. Um it, it's something that like you're like used to flicking through shorts and Instagram. And it's like the opposite of that. It's slow like storytelling. I think that's better for children, honestly. Probably right. Franklin was uh anyway, lots of thoughts. back in the day. Okay, cool. Well, I think we'll call it there. That's been uh, that was a fun little segment on film and whatnot. Maybe we'll do that again in a few months. So, uh, thanks for your time, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, stay tuned for for more real talk coming your way soon. So until then, keep having real talk. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. 
Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.